Good morning. Thank you for joining us here at Vertical Church in Ovilla, Texas for the next message in our I Know a Ghost series, I Know a Ghost Who is Holy. We'll see you afterwards. The ghost of God is in this place. Amen. Amen. It's hard to believe we are down to the last two weeks in our series, I Know a Ghost. God has taught us so much during this time. I've heard so many stories from, um, from you of areas that God has worked in your life, new things he's walking you into, new reassurances, new truths as well. We've been looking at uh, stories about the ghost throughout the scripture, and they are there from the first chapter in Genesis to the last chapter in the book of Revelation. The ghost is present throughout the scripture. You know, it's, uh, it's the fall, it's the time for uh, camping and campfires, it's the time for going out in the backyard and uh, firing the fire pit and roasting marshmallows and s'mores, we've already been doing some of that at our house, and uh, for some reason, all of that, you know, when you get together in the campfire and you're sitting outside and the moon's up and it's, the sky's dark, at some point along the way, someone's going to say, well, anybody got any stories, maybe some ghost stories? That's usually how that works. I'm not sure exactly why, but it's what happens. So today, we're going to tell some ghost stories. I've got three ghost stories. These are not evil ghosts. This is the one true God ghost. This is the story, three stories about the Holy Ghost, the essence of God himself, the reality of what is at the core of who God is. God three, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the one who has been the presence of God on this earth throughout the pages of Scripture. So stories today about this ghost, this ghost who is the one who comforts us, this ghost who is the one who teaches us, this ghost who is the one who reassures us of truth, this ghost who leads and guides us as we walk in him. Amen? If you want to experience the reality of the ghost in your life, which we all do, we want to know more of this ghost, the spirit of God, his presence in our life. If you want to do that, if you want to know all that he does, you have to begin with understanding who he is. And we've talked about who he is. But I mean, you have to understand something about the kind of ghost that he is. If you don't understand the kind of ghost that he is, then you'll misinterpret everything that he does. Because everything that he does comes from who he is. It's a truth about life in general. But it's for sure true about our God, the ghost. And this ghost, above all that he does, is first and foremost has always been and will always be this one thing, and that is holy. It is the word used to describe the essence of our God. He is the Holy Ghost. When he speaks, when he comforts, when he teaches, and when he leads, it is from him being first and foremost holy. So if you want to know this ghost, you've got to know that he is holy. So today, some ghost stories that tell us that he is holy. 
and what we are to do about that. So let me start in the Old Testament with a story I'll call Two Brothers. If we go back into the early pages of Scripture, all the way back to 1 Samuel 2, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm not going to read a lot from the passage. In fact, I'm just going to refer to it mainly. But if you like following along and reading along while we're walking through the passage, that's totally fine with me. So in 1 Samuel, we're at an, an era, a time, when God has instructed his people to build a place that his presence will dwell on the earth. A single location, wrap your minds around this, a single location that the essence of God will dwell. A place, a single place where he will be. God gave the instructions to build a tabernacle, a tent, a building, a space where sacrifices would be offered and in the room that was called the holiest of holies, the most holy space dwelt the presence of God. A space so holy that only the high priest could enter in at a certain time of the year, in certain preparation, bringing the blood poured out for payment of sin. And even then, he went in with great fear and trepidation of this holy, holy space that the very presence of God dwelt. There were many men who served as high priests. In 1 Samuel, it tells a story about a man named Eli who was a high priest. He was a man who knew the ways of God. He understood this tabernacle had the instructions and the guidelines and the law for offering sacrifice, for dressing in the appropriate apparel that he was supposed to wear to go into the Holy of Holies. There was a high priest outfit he was to wear to go in. And in this place, Eli served God. Eli had two sons. They had grown up in a priest family. They'd grown up around the tabernacle. They'd grown up around this holy tent. They had seen life of God's people surrounding this tent, this place. They had to be aware of the fact that God met with Eli there and the people there. God led them with this pillar of fire at night and a cloud of smoke during the day. God dwelt in this singular location on the planet, the tabernacle. But these two boys, Hophni and Phineas, were their names. If you're looking for some new boys' names for you, if you're having a child, there you go. Um, so these two boys grow up. But as they enter into adulthood, these two young men are not walking in the ways of their father. They're doing the things that their dad did. They're in and around. They're working in and around the tabernacle. They're handling the sacrifices that are being brought. They are doing the holy things, but there's something very different about these two young men. These two young men have chosen to not have a heart for God. 
They are chasing after the idols. They look more like the world around them than the God who is with them. And they choose to be, though they are in the place that's to be sacred, they choose to ignore the fact that the ghost who dwells there is holy. And so they have no problem stealing from the offerings that are given, for using them for their own benefit, for taking advantage of the people, for stealing from God. They have no problem with bringing immoral women with them into the sacred tent to be immoral with them. These two young men have not accepted the fact that the ghost who is in the house is holy. They dismiss it. They reject it. They deny it. They live by their own lifestyle as though he wasn't even there. They're going through the religious motions. They're doing what dad says. But they are far from holy. And God sees all of this. God always sees. And God begins to talk to Eli and says, Eli, what you have done with your sons and what your sons are doing is going to be corrected, is going to be punished. If you fast forward through the verses there, you find that these two sons end up losing their lives. And so does dad. And what happens is the very sacred ark of God that was to be kept in this holy place is captured by the enemies. And perhaps one of the saddest things that we find in the Old Testament is written in this story. It's a verse that says this, and the glory of the Lord departed from Israel. What a tragedy. The people of God who were the place where the essence of God himself dwelt, where his glory was seen because they chose not to live holy the glory departed. It's interesting in Scripture how those two always go together. When a people accept the fact that God is holy and they live in acknowledgement of that and they choose to live their lives holy, the glory always shows up. When there's a holy place, there's a glory place. Holiness and glory always go together. This is our first ghost story today. It's not a happy one. It's the sad one. The ghost and the glory depart from Israel. And they would go through a sad period of not knowing the life that God had for them. Our second ghost story today comes from the New Testament. We're all the way over in the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a letter. We refer to it as a book, part of the Bible, but it was a letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul. He was first the man named Saul. He was the man that God came to, Jesus appeared to, Jesus changed his life, and he became a fiery, evangelistic leader. He became a man who established and planted churches. 
And Corinth, of all places, was one of the places that he planted a church. Let me give you a little bit of background on Corinth so we got our understanding of what this story is like here. Corinth was an incredibly wicked city. It was a place known for vile wickedness. It was a place known for idols throughout the city. It was known for the immorality that took place in the city, not just on dark street corners, but in broad open daylight, even as part of the worship in some of the idols and temples, places, awful, tragic, desperately wicked city, a culture with great fighting and tension, demanding that everybody got their way, their idols served, and into that wicked city comes the gospel. And out of that wicked city came some believers. And they were born again. And Paul comes in with them and they plant a church in Corinth. Paul begins to hear what's going on in Corinth. See, the beautiful truth is that these people came out of their culture and began to be someone different. They had an experience with Jesus They had an experience with the ghost of God and they came as they were. Mm. Aren't you grateful that we aren't called to have to clean up our act before we come to Jesus? That'd be a difficult task, wouldn't it? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. In other words, just come. Come to me in your desperation Come to me in your pain. Come to me in your struggle. Come to me in your doubt. Come to me in all that you're going through. Come to me in your guilt, your shame, your fear, your wickedness. Come to me in your sin, Jesus says, and I'll do something for you. I'll give you rest. I'll give you a relief from all that's happening inside you. Come. Just come as you are. It's the beautiful message of the gospel. But Jesus didn't finish with or stop at that. He had more to say. He didn't just say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, period. Next subject. Next, he said, now, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Mm. He said, I want you to come as you are, but the last thing I want is for you to stay as you are. I want you to come, and then I'm going to change who you are. Mm. That's the call of the gospel. Aren't you glad for that too? I'm glad I, I, I came, but I'm very glad I'm not the same. When I came in 1981... I was at a place that I'm glad I'm not, I'm not at anymore. I'm sure that's true for you. I'm sure you're glad as you look back to the day you came to Christ, you're not the same as you were then. This is what Jesus does. You come as you are, but then he takes you and goes somewhere from where you've been. He begins a process of changing you. These believers in Corinth had done just that. They came as they were. 
They came out of their culture. They came out of all their confusion. They came out of all that was going on, all the wickedness, all the temples that they went to, all the weird worship practices they were a part of, all the weird stuff that was going on in their lives. They came out of that and came to Jesus. And when Paul writes this letter, he writes because these people came as they were and they were still just like they were. Not much had changed. In fact, really nothing had changed. They came in and they brought in all their junk. And every time they gathered, they brought more of their junk. So what they had was Jesus in their life with a whole lot of junk in their life. And they actually had a church with junk. They didn't do the work of coming in and then being changed. They were still just like they were. So when Paul writes 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's writing a letter of instruction, but he's writing a letter of correction to say, look, folks, you, you must be clueless as to what's actually happening here. Maybe you're missing the point of what's going on because what you were is still what you are. You haven't changed what you do. You still look like, act like, sound like, smell like who you were before. And if you come in, then it's the process that begins where Jesus changes you and makes you who you no longer, or so that you're no longer who you were. Jesus said, learn of me. It was causing problems there in the church. You read through Corinthians, you think, now wait a minute, these people are supposed to all know Jesus because you're telling me that the stuff I read there was happening in the church? Yeah. Paul would write and say, look, I've gotten word that um, you've got someone in the church who's sleeping with the father's wife and you actually are all okay with that. It was a desperate situation. They had kind of gotten to where it was okay in their midst to have some perversion going on. And they're like, wow, we are such a loving people. We just accept people where they are and we let them keep doing their thing. And they kind of had that as a notch in their, you know, their, their, their pad on the page of, we're good. We accept all kinds of folks. No, that's not the call of the gospel. Come as you are, but be changed from who you were. Be changed into something new. You don't just let perversion go on. And because of this, there was all kind of divisions within the church. There was fighting within the church. There were people who were saying, well, I come from Apollos. Others were saying, well, I come from Paul. Well, I come from Jesus. So there's all this selfishness, there's pettiness, there's conflict, there's tension. People have wrong priorities. They're not living for the Lord. They're living for themselves. They're living for their money. They're living for their pleasures. Their marriages are filled with all kind of selfish manipulation. They're not even living for the glory of God and all they're doing. They are living for their appetites and nothing else. And Paul writes to them, and 11 times in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul would start a sentence with these words. Do you not know? In other words, Paul's trying to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt here. Let me just help you out, he says, church. I hear all this stuff that's going on inside you. And 
I can't believe this. Could it be? Is it possible that you really don't understand? That you really don't know? That you may actually be clueless? And because of that, Paul would say it 11 times, and twice he would finish the sentence like this verse here. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Paul says, just, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you hadn't put it all together yet. Maybe you haven't put it all in your mind and heart together that the creator God, the ruler of the universe, the God whose spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation, the God whose spirit burned like a pillar of fire over the tabernacle, the God whose spirit filled the holy of holies, the same God and same spirit that was with Jesus at his baptism, the same God, the same ghost who was with Jesus at his resurrection, this same God now dwells in you. Do you not realize that, Paul says? Have you not put it together? Are you really clueless? If you are, Paul says, I want to help you through this. I want to walk you through something because you may, because of the culture that you're in, because of the fact that there's temples on every corner and you have been conditioned to think of, I go to sacred places because you have been conditioned in that way of thinking. Paul says, I need to help you with something. I need to help you not be clueless anymore. You're going to have to alter the way you think because here's the new covenant. We don't go to sacred places. We have been made the sacred place. This changes some things. Remember I said the tabernacle was the central location, the only location on planet earth where God's presence dwelt. When you come to the new covenant, the new testament, after Jesus has ascended back to heaven and he has sent the Holy Ghost to be on the earth, his ghost came to dwell in a temple, in some temples. And that temple is not a building like this. We may refer to this as the house of God. But the only time this is the house of God is when the people of God are in it. We refer to it as the church. I get it. But we are the church. The sacred place where God dwells on earth today is in the hearts of believers who have put their faith in Jesus. You have now become the sacred place. I get it that we say God is everywhere and God can be wherever he wants to be, but I'm going to tell you what scripture says. He has chosen 
to put his ghost, his essence, in a singular location. And that is inside the bodies of believers. So now, I don't go to sacred places. I have become a sacred place. I didn't measure up to it. I didn't pick up a list at my local church to figure out how to become the perfect sacred place. I believed by faith and his ghost came into me. That happened for the Corinthian people as it happens for us today. So I get it today if some of us might say, well, wait a minute, lights are starting to come on for me. I always thought of going to a sacred place, church, but now this changes everything if I have become the sacred place. This means that now I don't go to it, it's in me, and wherever I go becomes a sacred place because I am the sacred place. This means that if he has put himself in me, then I have got to start living as though he is in me, the sacred place. I have to start living sacred because he's made me sacred. I've been made holy, so now I live holy. I'm not hoping to get some status someday. I've been given the status of forgiven, accepted, loved. Here are the tough ones. I have been declared by faith what God says about me, that I am blameless, righteous, and holy. Not just me, but you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you and I have become the sacred places. We have become the temple. And you may not have caught the gravity of all of that yet in your life. You may not have adjusted to what all that means. Paul was willing to allow for it for the Corinthians. And that's why he said, do you not know that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, already in you? You have him from God. You may be unaware up to this point, but now you know. Now you don't have to wonder. Now you don't have to say, I was clueless. Now you don't have to wonder. I know now. And so if I want to experience the blessing of that, the glory of that, because you remember, wherever there's holy, there's glory, then I have to wrap my life around this truth. I have to say, okay, God, you've chosen me. I didn't choose you. You chose me. You forgave me. You cleansed me. Now I will live like you have made me holy. I'll adjust my life to fit what you have made me, a sacred place. Paul goes on to help those in Corinth as he does with us. He says, for you were bought at a price. You were expensive real estate. You think prices in Ellis County are high? 
The price for you, your body, your spirit is even higher. It cost God his son. That's the price he paid for you, the real estate where the ghost of God dwells. He bought you. You are his house now. He is the one who's taken possession of you. He owns you. And whoever owns the house gets to decide what the house looks like. Amen? Aren't you glad when you bought your house, if you have bought a house, that you didn't have to keep the design of the last owner? Right? Right? Yeah. As soon as we moved into our house, which is now some 19 years ago, the very first thing we did was start painting walls, taking up carpet, putting down new flooring. And it seems like every two or three years since then, we keep changing it, you know? The first, when we first moved in, we thought it would be awesome to paint the girls' room purple. It was for about two years. And it was like, what were we thinking? We painted the girls' room purple. We painted the boys' room blue. We painted the other room that they had that they would play in sometimes pink. Pink? Bright pink? We did. We painted our dining room walls this rich, deep red. Yeah, it's time for all that to change. That's what you do with a house. And whoever owns the house gets to decide what goes into the house and what the house looks like. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. So you and I, real estate, bought by God, he owns the house. He gets to determine what the house is like. He gets to determine what it looks like, what's in it, and what happens in the house. You've been bought with a price. You don't get to call the shots anymore. I'm so glad the people that owned my house before don't call me every year and say, what are you doing in my house? I want you to put that paneling back just like it, I had it when I was there in 1970. No, you don't get to call the shots anymore once you sell the house. The new owner does. And Paul says, you've been bought. Surely you understand this, Paul says. Therefore, because of that, here's the deal. Now, God owns you. You're his real estate. Now, glorify him with your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They're not yours anymore. You don't get to choose. It's not up to you. He gets to choose his house, his real estate, his decision. So let's talk about what this means for just a moment here. If all of a sudden you and I have been purchased property by God, we now have become the sacred temple that his ghost lives in, then my goal, our goal has to be, I want to now glorify him with this. It may be getting tired because it's getting old. I'm talking about myself. It may be weak. It may be feeble. But I choose to do what the owner says I do. I glorify him with it. So that means I can't do what I used to do with this body. It's not mine to decide anymore. I can't go where the places that this body used to go. It's not mine to decide anymore. I now want to do what will reflect the glory of God 
in what I do and where I go. Because the only way that people on this planet will know what God looks like is by visiting one of his sacred houses. And that's not just this building right here. It's you. You are the sacred place. So when people visit with you, they are forming conclusions about who God is. They're forming conclusions about what he's like, what he sounds like, what he looks like, what his tone is like, what his activities are like. They are forming all of that based on you. You see, it changes the level of responsibility all of a sudden, doesn't it? It just puts a a little different weight into the situation all of a sudden, doesn't it? You don't just get to go where you want, do what you want, when you want, because now you have been bought. You belong to God. And everything about your life now is to be lived in an attempt to glorify him. That That means I don't even talk like I used to. The language that comes out of my mouth is different now because I'm a sacred place. And I wouldn't want people around me hearing non-sacred things coming out of this sacred temple. Are you with me? I don't need to be using language that would cause someone to think that I may not be sacred because I am. So I need to change some things that might just be a common part of my conversation. I get it. I've talked to some believers along the way over the years who say, well, you know what? I can say what I want when I want. I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. Really? Okay. I get it. There's forgiveness. I get it that there's grace. I get it that you can come as you are but maybe you don't get this. You may come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. You change. You become what the sacred owner says you should be and do, not what you want to say and do. And so if that means you gotta change your conversation, you change it because you've been made sacred. If that means you gotta change some behaviors because there were things you used to do, before you knew you were a sacred temple, then it's time for change. If you have been to some places that you used to go before you were a sacred temple, it's time for change. You change what you sound like, what you look like, where you go, you change your activities, you change all of that because he has declared you sacred. That's why Paul said, I hear about your church. Corinth. I hear about the idols that you worship. I hear that you still walk like you used to. I hear that you have all this conflict going on. I hear that you've got perversion going on. I hear that there's all kind of weird stuff going on in your church. Do you not know? Do you not know that you have been made sacred property? The ghost of God, the essence of God himself in full holiness has come to dwell in you. 
dwell in you. Not come visit you. Not come in and leave. But to come in and take up permanent residence in you. And if you want to know the glory of that, then you've got to yield to the holiness of that. You've got to live holy because the ghost within you is holy. Mm. It's a high responsibility. It's a calling. The fact he says here, he's come to be in your body, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. That's interesting, spirit. What is that? It's another word for our very core, our breath, our center, our own ghost, if you will, within. Within every one of us is uh, the core of who we are. It's that part of you that um, is your character. It's that part of you that not, not everybody else sees, but you know. It's that part of you where your thoughts are moving around. It's that part of you that's the center of who you are. It's where your attitudes and your thoughts and your emotions are all together. And Paul says, in your body glorify him, but here's the deal. Also, glorify him in your spirit, in your attitudes. So, don't have in your spirit unsacred non-sacred attitudes because you now belong to God. The ghost has moved in to your house. So it's time to remove some things that you may have had before. Some attitudes that are not sacred. Some attitudes of revenge, hate, unforgiveness, Resentment, bitterness, jealousy, lust, greed, selfishness, those are not sacred. Those don't fit with who the ghost is. And he gets to decide what's in the house because it's his house now. So that means for you and I, when a a thought comes in. When an attitude wants to fill one of my rooms with its own treasures, its own furniture. When I get an attitude that wants to put some stuff in the closet, I have to say, hold up. This is now sacred property. It's been bought by God. He gets to choose what's in it. And you, Mr. Attitude, you don't get to live here anymore. You may come knock on my door. I'm not letting you in. I got a ring doorbell. In fact, I can see you coming. I see you coming down my sidewalk. You don't get to come in. I see you revenge trying to come on down my sidewalk. I see you hate. I see you selfishness. I see you spirit of complaining. I see all of you trying to sneak up on my house. I see you in the front yard. I see you in the backyard. I see you trying to get up in my, my side yard, jump in the fence. I see all that. You don't get to come around anymore. You don't belong here anymore. This is sacred property because 
Jesus has bought this house. Sacred place. If you want to know the ghost, then you have to shape your life to fit the house that he's, he's bought. If you want to experience the glory, the absolute glory of God, then now seek to glorify God in your body. And please, please don't think this morning I'm trying to throw at you a list of do's and don'ts. I hope you know the message that we preach here at Vertical enough to know this. We are saved by his grace through our faith, and that's it. And I am declared sacred in that moment. What we are doing now, once you've taken that step, is attempting to order our lives according to what he's already made us. So, this is now what I do. I seek to glorify him. I want people around me to see his glory. I want them to know his wonder. I want them to know his freedom. So I take what I say, what I do, where I go, whatever activities I'm involved in, and attempt to bring him glory. It's what I do. This is my life now. This is not a, a weekend side job. This is my life. This is us. We've been bought, full purchase price made. We're not rental property. He hasn't come in to move out. He's come in to take over. And so now all I do is for him. Our first ghost story, two brothers were unwilling to recognize the holiness of the ghost. In this ghost story, an entire church was unaware of the holiness of the ghost. I close today with a third story, a short one. We're back in the Old Testament. It's 1 Chronicles 7. After the tabernacle, God gave instructions for a temple to be built. Not a tent, not a temporary, but a permanent dwelling place. The temple is built it's constructed according to the pattern. Solomon has led the effort. It is beautiful. It is massive. It is glorious. It is set up according to pattern. It is what God intended. And Solomon, at the end of its construction, on the day that it is about to be used, he has a time of blessing. To commemorate this moment. First Chronicles, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles 7 says this in verses 1 and 2. That Solomon prayed, and here's what it says. When Solomon had finished praying, when he had committed this temple to God's glory, it says this, that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices Listen, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Ooh, I've tried to imagine what that must have been like to be in a physical building and to have this 
manifestation of the glory of God come and just fill that building. I I imagine sound, I imagine light, I imagine more than any of that though, this overwhelming awareness of the holiness of God. This just utter, clear presence of God in that place. He described like it was fire that came down, and it did. It took up the sacrifice, and the glory filled that place. Here's how glorious it was, verse 2. It says, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Verse 3, when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, it filled it completely. When this happened, it says, they, they all bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. They were a people who were not unaware. They were not a people who were unwilling. Instead, they were unrestrained. They were willing to recognize God is in this place and God, this temple is for you and you alone. It's here that you will meet with us. It's here that we will meet with you. And when Solomon prayed that and the people were passionate about that, then glory showed up. It was so overwhelming. All they could do was fall down on their faces, on their knees, on the ground. And they cried out, God, you have been merciful. We don't deserve this. We have been the ones who've sinned. We are the ones who've done wrong. But you have been good to us. You've poured out your spirit on us. We shouldn't have had that. We should have had destruction come upon us. But you've chosen to spare us. You've chosen to give to us. Your mercy, it endures forever. And they were thankful. They were completely broken before God on their faces, which is a beautiful way of saying, God, everything about me is yours. For us, we don't have temples made today out of stone. We have temples that are made of flesh and blood right here, you and me. And it is up to us to have the same heart that Solomon had, the same heart that the people had. God, this temple is yours. This temple, everything about this temple is yours. Everything, what I say, what I do, where I go, what I put in it, what I entertain myself with, what I talk about, who I'm with, it's all for you. It's all yours. It's not mine anymore. You've purchased me. I didn't deserve to be purchased. I don't have any worth in and of myself, but you have purchased me. Therefore, from now on, I will glorify God in my sacred temple because you've called me sacred. What a holy calling you and I have today. 
What a responsibility we have today to be those who are unrestrained. God, there's not a part of my life that I hold back. And where I need to adjust so that others see I have been made sacred, I will adjust. I will repent. I will yield. I'll give up. I'll do what you say. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of my arrogance. Forgive me of my stubbornness. It's now what you say only. What a holy calling you and I have today. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now the sacred temple where the glory is meant to be seen. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the time. This is the time to say, God, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that my sin is what separated me. I wasn't aware of what Jesus had done. I wasn't aware that I had been possibly made a sacred temple, but today I repent of my sin. I call out to you and you come into me and I will be wholly yours. Amen, amen, amen. This is our prayer today. And you've got to know, this is our passion today. What you and I want more than anything is for the fire of God to fall again. Amen? I want to, I want to see that. I want to experience that. I want our culture to be aware. Sacred property right here. No longer what I was. Sacred. Everything about me changes. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today we confess we have been stubborn, resistant. We've been selfish. We've been petty. We want to do our own thing. We've treated you like you lived in some place that we go to instead of realizing you've made us the place that you've come to. And so now we, we adjust our lives. We will change what's in the house because you're in the house. We'll change what happens at the house because you're in the house. We'll change what comes out of the house because you're in the house. You've purchased us. You've bought us. We're sacred. So we surrender today, Lord. Not our will. Your will be done. Not our choice. Your choice for us. Not our language. Your language. Not our activities. Your activity through us. Every part of us surrendered to be sacred temples on this earth. God, we surrender today. Please let the fire fall. Let it change us. Let it overwhelm us. Let it change a culture. May they see your glory in ways they've never seen before. May that be true of us. Show us your glory, God. Bring the fire, God. Change us. We repent in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing today. Wow, what a powerful message we heard this morning in our I Know a Ghost series. I know a ghost who is holy and calls us to be holy as well. I'm excited, I'm encouraged, and ready to live out that calling that we have. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you here next week at 1030. Please subscribe to the link, and we'll see you then.